All the stuff that I'm working on is built on the shoulders of giants. I didn't invent the Lightning Network. When I saw this technology, I thought it was just beautiful. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. If I sound a little bit croaky, it's because I was at Wembley last night yelling, cheering on England. Sadly, we lost to Italy in the final. We lost some penalties. Absolute heartbreak. But it's been a great run. I've had so much fun over the last few weeks. And the good news for some of you is I won't be talking about football anymore. So anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got the first interview in my Lightning series, and I'm kicking off with Andreas Antonopoulos and Rene Picard to discuss the basics of Lightning based on the book they've been working on, which is Mastering Lightning. Okay, but before that, I have a message from my show sponsors, and today we kick off with Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I've been a Ledger customer back since early 2017 when I was getting into Bitcoin, and that Ledger Nano S I bought back then, I am still using now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, we have my exchange sponsor, which is Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. But I haven't sold a single sat through Gemini. I'm only buying. It's a good time to buy. We're in a bull market. We're still here. We're settling above 30k. Feels good, right? So I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I am yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing. And that is all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And next up, we have Revolut. Now, as many of you know, Lloyd's Bank. My bank of 25 years closed down all my accounts recently. They clearly don't like Bitcoin. But Revolut came along and they said, Pete, we'll be your bank. We love Bitcoin. Come and join us. So I did. I moved my entire account over to Revolut and they seem to love Bitcoin. They want to do everything they can to try and make it easier for Bitcoiners to get banking services. And Revolut are offering a $20 or £20 bonus to all new customers that complete three card transactions. It only takes a few minutes to set up and you can create your card and add it to Apple Pay immediately and get that cash in your pocket. But you know what I would do? I would instantly convert that to Bitcoin because I love Bitcoin. Now, this is a new relationship and I'm working with the Revolut team to help them build a bank which is Bitcoin friendly. Certainly tough with UK regulations, but we are doing our best to navigate this. If you want to find out more, then please head over to revolut.com forward slash WBD. That is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD. And next up, we have BlockFi. And I'm pleased to announce they have finally launched the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit cards provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% Bitcoin back on every card purchase with no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. You can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every single purchase, but you can earn 3.5% back in Bitcoin during the first three months of card ownership. 
and you can also earn 2% back in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend. If you want to find out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Okay, so onto the show, and this week we are doing a special set of shows for the Lightning Network. Now, it was originally going to be all in one week, but I've had these back issues and I'm going into surgery tomorrow, so it's going to be spread over this week and next week. Now, a couple of years ago, I knew very little about the Lightning Network, so I did a month-long series of shows and went through everything I could. But so much has changed since then, including me using Lightning more, so I decided it was time to revisit this topic. Back then, I was a little bit sceptical of Lightning, but I've been out to El Salvador quite a few times over the last couple of years, and all this has changed everything for me. It is no longer just an interesting idea for the future. It works perfectly now. It is something I am using right now. And so are the people in El Zonte. When I go there, I don't even have to worry about having dollars on me anymore. So with everything that's changed, as well as all the new people have come into the space in the last couple of years, I had to revisit Lightning, starting at the beginning and hearing about everything which is being built right now. So to kick things off, I am joined by Andres Antonopoulos and Rene Picard, who are writing Master in Lightning. And as always, I try and get down to the basics and I hope everyone will get something out of this week. Whether you are just a complete beginner or a techie Bitcoin, I hope you enjoy this. If you do have any questions, you know you can jump into my Telegram group or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Okay, onto the show. I hope you enjoy this one. Andres, how are you, mate? We haven't, uh, we haven't spoken in a while. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Peter. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very happy because I went to Wembley last night and watched England get to a final. So I was talking to Renee about that. Renee, you well? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Didn't Feeling sleep good? so much last night, but that's okay. <laughs> I cheat for you. Because you were so nervous about England on Sunday. Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, about a couple of years ago, I did a, a month of shows all about lightning, which was very cool. People loved it, but a lot has happened since then. And Renee appro- approached us and said, listen, I think you should do this again. So we decided to do a week of shows. Um, and also, it's just a, it's becoming more important again because, uh, as you know, I've spent a lot of time out in El Salvador recently. And my only experience with Bitcoin there is using the Lightning Network. Um, and I've kind of come to an understanding how in different geographies, uh, the reliance on the base chain versus the Lightning Network is quite different. So I think it's a good time to revisit Lightning to uh, talk about where we are with it. But also, I've also got a lot of new listeners now, and, and maybe they don't know about the Lightning Network, so it'd be good to give them a, a primer on things. So you're both working on the Master in Lightning book. How's that going? It's going. Um, we're in the uh, final month, actually. So uh, there is... Um there's just a couple of weeks left to deliver the final draft to the publisher, and then the longer process of uh, um, production, copy editing, editing, proofreading, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, goes into gear uh, with the goal to deliver uh, to actual print um, by the end of the year, so Christmas time, really. Wow, because I remember you telling me about that. That was uh, when I saw you in London. God, that was about two years ago. It was two years it. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it was scheduled to be completed in, in, in one year. Um, but uh, I don't know if you noticed, uh, some things happened in 2020, causing know, some unscheduled delays. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a little thing called a pandemic. Yeah. I think it yeah. affected all of us. Um, Renee, how's it yeah. been for you working on it? 
it's it's an amazing progress and i'm really really happy that andreas reached out and and asked if we want to write a book together and and do this because my english as people can hear is not that great and andreas oh, is uh, being ridiculously helpful on that your english and is very just, good just just yesterday there was this amazing thing that happened that some folks from Atlanta started a book reading club because you're writing this book completely open source. Eight chapters are already kind of like finished on, on GitHub. And they start doing, I think, bi-weekly meetings and reading a chapter per week. And, and they're discussing this stuff. And I was in this channel listening to what they were discussing. And this also was like a great way of getting feedback. And I was like, this is so amazing. People care so much about the topic. It's unbelievable. The Lightning Network is just so important. And is this going to be a book for the techies, the hardcore Bitcoiners? Or is this going to be a book for everyone? Like, should I? Well, of course you'll say I should read it because of my job. But I mean, I tried mastering Bitcoin, Andreas, and it gets a bit tricky for me at times. Yeah, it, I'm guessing mastering Bitcoin got tricky after chapter three for you. Yes. Um, yes. And that's quite intentional. So the way um, I've written books before and we're replicating that in Mastering the Lightning Network, is there is a gentle slope at the beginning, um, which is intended to be readable by anyone who has a technical interest. And then things get technical. They ramp up from there. Um, now, you can skim and get a lot of value and pick up nuances that you didn't know about by reading past the point where you are befuddled. Um, you have to have you have to have the tolerance for simply ignoring things that don't make sense in the first reading and moving past them. With the Lightning Network, the book is structured effectively in two parts. Part one is chapters one through five. Um, you can actually read that. It's already available to O'Reilly um, early readers, as well as, of course, on GitHub. And chapters one through five uh, give you a broad overview of what the Lightning Network is, why it exists, how it works, and walk through an example of using it in practice with our favorite participants, Alice and Bob. Um, it also describes how you can run your own node and describes various software packages that can help you do that. Uh, because a lot of people, when uh, they find the, the Lightning Network, realize that this is a, a good opportunity to run your own node if you want to have full control over your, um, your Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. So, um, and then when that ends, you, you have a nice overview. And it's accessible to anyone with um, a, a bit of technical understanding and a desire to learn. Um, from chapter six onwards, we go into the architecture and how it actually works. So we start talking about um, how payment channels are constructed, followed by how things are routed using hash time locked contracts, um, how those are embedded into commitments on the channels, um, onion routing, pathfinding, the communications protocol, all of the nitty gritty details. Now that's highly technical, but again, this is designed to be a, a textbook that can also be used at a college level within a computer science degree um, and can appeal to a developer um, who has a, a technical understanding of, of uh, computer science concepts like protocols and 
cryptography, a basic understanding of those things, but no understanding of Lightning. In fact, we even have an appendix called Bitcoin Fundamentals Review, which teaches you only those parts of Bitcoin you need in order to understand Lightning. So you can come into this without you know, uh, a deep foundation on the um, blockchain technologies of Bitcoin, Lightning, etc. Sure, I think I might actually do, because the first time I looked at Mastering Bitcoin, and you're right, I think I did about three chapters, and then uh, then it got a bit too advanced for me. I might go back to it, because you know, I've learned a lot more over the last three years, and maybe I'll find it right. a bit easier. So I think I'm going to do that first, and then I'll, I, I can do that in advance of, of the next book. Um, but back when I did that Lightning Month, my podcast used to do ten to 20,000 per show listeners, and now we're ranging from fifty to 150,000 a show. And most of that increase has been over the last few months because we've had a bull run. So lots of new people coming in. So I, I'm, I'm never afraid to kind of revisit the absolute basics to help people understand. And I think that's what the goal of this week of shows is, is really is those people who are new to Bitcoin or have a vague understanding of Lightning or maybe been in Bitcoin a while but never really looked at the Lightning Network is to kind of help those. So I will ask some very basic questions today, but you know I do that anyway. So Renee, we're going to kick things off. Do you want to start by explaining what the Lightning Network is, what it's yeah you know, what what it what the role of the Lightning Network is within Bitcoin, what it does different from the base chain? Just give us a good kickoff. Okay, I try. I try my very best. You'll crush it, man. <laughs> the the Lightning Network is an incredible smart way of using Bitcoin. And the best thing about it is once you have a software that uses the Lightning Network, you don't have to worry about it. The software does it for you. And when I say it's a smart way of using Bitcoin, what I mean is when you use Bitcoin in the way how it was intended to be used, you could do something like seven transactions per second in the entire network over the entire world. And uh, recently a person said, in my street, the merchants can do more. <laughs> and um, so, so, so this is not like a global scale currency kind of thing. With the Lightning Network, we can do instant payments, we can settle them directly. And we can do basically as many as we want uh, with them. Uh, and as of right now, they're also very cheap. Um, and there's good reasons to believe that they will stay cheap. So the Lightning Network is just the way how people should use Bitcoin. And it took us quite some while to find out that this is how Bitcoin should be used in, in many cases. There are, of course, other ways to use Bitcoin, right? I'm not saying it's solely Lightning, but it's very useful. <laughs> But let's explain specifically the difference between the base chain and the Lightning Network. Very few people start with the Lightning Network. It does happen. I've seen it out in El Salvador. Some people have just downloaded Lightning wallets, wallets of Satoshi, especially people part of the Bitcoin Beach Project. That's their entire experience of Bitcoin. But most people I tend to deal with, their first experience of Bitcoin is either downloading a wallet and a friend giving them some Bitcoin or going on to exchange and buying some. Uh, so their main experience is the base chain where they get used to this idea that, well, they have to send it to this funny address and then maybe about an hour later, like it appears straight away, but maybe about an hour later they could spend it. So it's probably it's probably a good point to explain why that is, why it takes about an hour on the base chain and what the, what the Lightning Network changes for Bitcoin. Yeah, so I think in the, in the future many people will have an experience where the essentially the border between Bitcoin and Lightning is a bit blurred, meaning that you have a wallet and you send money to an address and you don't know how exactly it's being delivered. 
Um, and some payments are going to be made over the Lightning Network where it makes sense to use the Lightning Network. And some payments um, may be over uh, Bitcoin where it makes sense um, to use Bitcoin instead. And so, in fact, the Lightning Network uh, has within its uh, features a so-called fallback system so that you can have um, a Lightning payment that looks to the new user uh, the same way the first experience of Bitcoin addresses, a long string of incomprehensible letters and numbers. Um, the only difference is that instead of that string starting with BC1, um, it starts with LN. And that's the lightning invoice. So you scan that or you scan a QR code and it tells you you need to make a payment and you say approved. Within that lightning invoice is actually encoded uh, or it's possible to encode a fallback Bitcoin address so that you can also make an on-chain payment. And in fact, I think blurring the line between on-chain and off-chain is something that uh, would be part of the user experience because then you have one wallet. It doesn't really tell you if your funds are on-chain or off-chain. Um, and it juggles between on-chain and off-chain funds, manages payment channels in the background, it chooses how to make a payment in exactly the same way that when you make a phone call today, you don't choose satellite or undersea fiber optic or microwave radio tower um, to decide how it's going to get to the other end. That depends on a lot of other factors that happen in the background. Um, and the, the system decides for you. So I, I hope that the experience becomes as transparent as that. But in many ways, it's similar to Bitcoin. Um, you have an incomprehensible string. It, it uh, prompts you, do you want to send an amount to this string? You say yes. Uh, bipity boopity boop. And a second later, it's done. And unlike Bitcoin, you don't have to wait an hour. Your funds are available to the recipient and completely finalized, settled, if you like, um, within one to two seconds. And the fee that you pay is measured in Satoshis. And then you're like, well, how much did I pay? Uh, you know, I paid 100 Satoshis. Well, how much is that? And then you go into some weird arithmetic and, and figure out that you paid 0 0.0003 euro, um, which is such a ridiculously low amount that it's, it's basically zero. Um, so instant, very private, final, and cheap. And that's the essence of the Lightning Network. It's a way to use Bitcoin that actually makes it really usable across a broad range of payment sizes. That's what made it so interesting for me for my last visit to uh, El Salvador. So I went out at the start of May, like I normally did, with some dollars in my pocket because it's a dollarized country, but just out of novelty and just liking to support the local community in El Zonte, I would buy some things uh, on the Lightning Network. But what was quite interesting, when I went back to interview the president four weeks later, I didn't have any dollars left and I didn't get any out. And I just just use my Lightning wallet because everywhere, it pretty much in El Zante accepted it. I did use the ATM and get some dollars out at one point. But the key thing for me was, is we went up to El Tunco, which is the next village up from 
uh, El Zonte, and there was a coffee shop, and I ended up buying a coffee for three of us there. But what's really what I realized at the time is that I I can go to another country without having to withdraw money. I don't have to use my debit card, which has uh, two. I think it's two fees when I there's the exchange fee, but also there's the the bank fee for using it, which sometimes can be like fifty pence or a pound or a dollar just for every time I use the card. I paid virtually zero fee, as you said, and it was virtually instant. And it just made me think at the time, as people, you know, as people travel more, move around the world, the more of these communities that happen, that they actually, the easier it is for someone like me to travel without even having to consider having local currencies. Yeah, I think the first time I demonstrated a lightning payment to someone, um, as they held up their wallet and they were in front of the screen that was going to receive their payment, I said, when you, before you put your finger on send, switch your gaze to the recipient screen. Because if you are still looking at send, by the time you look up to the screen, it will already have arrived. Um, that's what virtually instantaneous means. Uh, you'll miss it uh, if you blink. Now, that's the best case scenario. Uh, of course, there are other issues with the Lightning Network that it doesn't always work out that way. And, and that's one of the areas that, that Renee has been doing an enormous amount of research. Yes, Renee? Renee? Yeah, but I, I wanted to actually emphasize and stress on the instantaneous part. Because I came into Bitcoin very late and I came actually over the Lightning Network. But of course, I had to use Bitcoin at some point in time. And I was amazed because it's this like decentralized network, it's uh, money that is sound, right? Nobody controls it, it's amazing. But you use it and it doesn't really feel like it's the digital money of the internet, right? You wait for your block confirmation and all these things, right? When you use the Lightning Network, this feels like email, this feels like instant messaging, mm -hmm. right? You do something, it's there, right? And I mean, the story that you told right now, Peter, I, I don't know if you saw it, like I was smiling like ridiculously, it made me so happy to see that this is finally happening because Bitcoin is just like this amazing invention and it has to be user-friendly and usable. And what you're telling me is exactly the, the, the Bitcoin story, actually, right? Integrated yeah. in Lightning. You'll be like, we have this global currency. We can go there. We can pay. We don't have to exchange. Everybody knows what it's worth to them, right? And with Lightning, we can transact. Awesome. Well, well the great Sorry. thing about that... <laughs> I, I, no, 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 Renee, the great thing about that is, you know... <laughs> Take me back to when I did the, that Lightning Month. I did it because the show needed it and I should cover it. But I, I also at the time, I had my doubts on the Lightning Network. I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's cool and yeah, great. But I, I mean, I'm never going to really use this. I use Bitcoin to store my wealth and yeah, I maybe we'll do some invoice on it. And occasionally I have to send somebody $1,000. I'll use the base chain. Like the, I don't see a scenario where... I'm going to be using the Lightning Network. And people are like, well, no, in the future, you'll be able to go into Starbucks. I'm like, yeah, no, I won't. Look, let's be realistic. Hyper-Bitcoinization isn't going to happen. Bitcoin's just going to be this you know, asset that some of us hold and can spend sometimes. That's obviously completely changed by my experience in El Zonte. But it's, it's, the experience has changed not because that coffee shop accepted Lightning. It's because essentially El Zonte has hyper-Bitcoinized if that's the correct way of putting it, as, as, a, as a community. I, I, like I said, I think there's like one restaurant that doesn't accept it yet, and I'm sure the pressure's on them to. But because that community has, it suddenly becomes a native currency there to use. 
you know you don't have to carry dollars or your debit card. You can just wander around with your phone and everywhere you go, you can pay. And suddenly, because I had that, that's when it ticked, okay, this works. The next interesting step is we know the government has made this massive, bold step to make it legal tender in the country. And uh, and, and they've enforced, you know, we don't need to debate that now, but they've essentially written into the um, into law that every economic agent has to accept this. So now I know it doesn't matter where I go in El Salvador, all I need is a lightning wallet and I can pay for anything I want at any point. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, it's it's a bit unfortunate, as you hinted, um, that the showcase example is one that involves a fair degree of coercion. Um, but that doesn't detract from the technical aspects. I think when when people first encounter the Lightning Network, their immediate reaction is very similar to the first reaction to Bitcoin, which is, where's the catch? Okay, there's got to be a catch. This This can't actually do what I think it seems to be doing. So the first catch is... Okay, this this isn't actually Bitcoin. This is some kind of custodial system. This is, uh, and I've I've heard it often described as an IOU. Um, and I think it's very important to like dispel these myths. There is no Lightning coin or uh, anything like that. You are actually using Bitcoin. You are actually conducting Bitcoin transactions. And those Bitcoin transactions exist in a consensus layer that has, um, uh, that is an interaction between you and whoever you're connected to with a payment channel. Um, and essentially we're lifting the security properties of Bitcoin up a layer and accelerating them. But you still have the same fundamental principles. The, the phrase that I coined, pun intended, not your keys, not your coins, applies here too. With Lightning, you have the keys and it is your coin. You're, you're not giving up any of that. Um, it's, it's still, uh, if you do it right, and, and there are, of course, custodial and non-custodial solutions, non-custodial solutions allow you to have control over your keys. And when you have... Um, some of your Bitcoin in Lightning payment channels, it doesn't restrict your ability. Often we hear the phrase, um, you lock your money into a payment channel. But in fact, you're unleashing your money into a payment channel because it's far more liquid um, and far more useful when it can be used to make instantaneous, secure, private, and cheap payments. Um, at some point, I envision an environment in which you would want to have all of the money that's not your retirement and savings, all of your checking account money, if you want, your spending money in payment channels so that you can use it on the Lightning Network. And on the odd occasion where you want to do an on-chain transaction with that money, you would use a technology like Splice Out or... Um, uh, various other submarine swaps, as they're called. But basically what you do is you make a lightning payment to someone else and they atomically swap that to an on-chain transaction on your behalf. Uh, again, trustless, non-custodial, um, but you can actually make an on-chain payment with your lightning money um, and then still keep it in a payment channel. Every opportunity you have to make a payment you use it instead to open a channel. Let me give you an example, because people bring this point up all the time. 
um, how can people open channels if opening and closing a channel costs a fee? So let's say, Peter, you come to my shop and you want to buy an awesome t-shirt that says, not your keys, not your coins, because of course, why wouldn't you? Um, and that t-shirt costs, I don't know, $20. So you can make an on-chain payment. Uh, you can make a normal Bitcoin transaction payment. And for a $20 t-shirt, depending on the fees at the time, it might be worth it. Uh, but a lot of the time, it's really not. Like if your transaction fee is going to be $3, um, that's a significant cost. But if you're going to incur that cost anyway, instead of buying that t-shirt with an on-chain transaction, it's better if you open a channel to my shop and make a lightning payment. You're still going to do an on-chain transaction. Only that on-chain transaction will not be for the t-shirt, it will be for establishing a channel. And if you establish a channel that's slightly bigger than the cost of the t-shirt, let's say $40, and then you make a lightning payment over that channel to me for the t-shirt, you got your t-shirt, but now you also have a funded lightning channel that has $20 balance on my end, $20 balance on your end, so you can now both send and receive $20 across that, and you've opened your channel. You paid the exact same fee that you would have paid um, to buy the t-shirt on chain, but instead you've now put money in the Lightning Network, and your next payment to my shop is going to have zero fee and be instantaneous. Your next amount that you receive from someone else, because my shop is well-connected and can route, is also going to be near zero fee and instantaneous. So um, every opportunity you have, whenever you're making an on-chain transaction, instead you use that opportunity to establish or close or rebalance channels. Um, and then the on-chain is only used fundamentally either for very large wire transfers or for channel establishment, closure and rebalancing. Or if we have a disagreement. Or if, if we, we have, have a disagreement. Ultimately, a conflict. that's a great point, uh, <laughs> Rene. The Lightning Network depends on the edge case of dispute resolution between channel partners being resolved by Bitcoin as the judge through uh, a, a system called penalty transactions. So if you try to cheat on the Lightning Network, I go on-chain and I take all the money. <laughs> well, we can we can come back to that, but it's, it's a really yeah. good point is, is that... Um, I consider it like my uh, Bitcoin wallet is like my bank account and the Lightning Network is, is like my wallet, right? It's just my cash wallet for where I want to go out and spend money here or there. And essentially opening that first channel is like buying a wallet. You know, I go to the shop and I'll spend $20, $30, $40 on a wallet. You know, if I've got to open up a, a channel and have that on-chain fee to open it up, uh, you know, you don't have to open it instantly. So you could put a few blocks down uh, later, yep. maybe only pay a dollar or a few dollars, but then then I'm open. But but we have jumped forward a, a step. Just again, just for people who don't understand, uh, Renee, let's just talk a little bit about opening channels. What it actually is that and, you know why you need to do that to be able to access and use the Lightning Network. And let's relate it back to somebody who's got a Bitcoin wallet. Uh, they want to get onto the Lightning Network. Let's talk about how they do that. What's the process? And, and maybe we can do this as a bit of theater between me and, yeah. and Renee, and Renee can demonstrate how to open a channel to me. Okay, yeah. great. Um, I, I love that idea. 
I, I have to kind of like make one tiny point in between um, talking about Bitcoin ownership and what it means to own Bitcoin. Because by the end of the day, we're always asking the question, um, who owns the Bitcoins in this payment channel, right? So um, in general, what we say is not your keys, not your coins, right? That's Andreas' statement, right? So that means that if I have my keys, I own, I own these Bitcoins, right? But what happens if Andreas has the same keys? Who owns the Bitcoins now, right? And I'm not talking legally, I'm talking technically, right? Andreas can spend them and I can spend them, right? So, so whoever spends them first is, is, is basically owning them, right? So I would say owning means that you have control to move the funds or you have control over your Bitcoins. Okay, so that being said, what I could do is I could go out and say, hey, I create a multi-signature wallet. I go to Andreas and say, Andreas, do you want to open a payment channel with me? Yes, I, I, I do, Rene. Um, but in order to make sure that um, we don't get into trouble, I'd like these uh, funds to be secured by a multi-signature, which requires both of our um, signatures, a two of two, where there are two possible signers, you and me, and um, it requires both of our signatures to spend any money. So here's my public key. Maybe you can make one. Okay, great. So what, what happens now is because I know Andreas is public key and I can use a key that I generated, I can create this multi-signature address and I could basically send Bitcoin to this multi-signature address in a just regular Bitcoin transaction. Now, now comes a problem. <laughs> Who owns these Bitcoins in this multi-signature address, right? Who can move them right now after I sent them there, after I published a transaction to the Bitcoin network and said, hey, I sent the funds there. The um, consensus of the two of us owns this Bitcoin. Exactly, right? I don't own these Bitcoins anymore and Andreas doesn't own these Bitcoins. Only Andreas and I own them together. And of course, what we want to do on the Lightning Network is we, we, we don't want to trust each other, right? So... I'm happy to send Bitcoins to this multi-signature wallet because that's really what's securing the channel. But I don't want to trust Andreas. So what I'm going to do is I'm preparing another transaction that sends all those Bitcoins back to myself. And I'm asking Andreas, can you please sign this transaction for me? Okay, so this feels a bit like a prenup agreement. Um, what we're doing here is we're, in, we're entering this financial relationship where we will have joint but inseparable ownership of these coins. And what you're saying is you want to ensure that if I disappear or become difficult to deal with or disagree, I can't blackmail you, right? So you're asking me to sign a refund of let's say your 100,000 Satoshis that you're going to put into this multisig, um, but before you've actually put it into this multisig. Uh, I mean, I guess so. It doesn't, it's no skin off my back. I can sign the refund because it's your money anyway, and all I'm doing is proving that I can be trusted. So yeah, sure, I'll, I'll sign the refund. All right. um, does that make you feel more comfortable now? That makes me ridiculously comfortable <laughs> because what happens now is we have, I can send the Bitcoins to this multi-sig address. You cannot move them, right? Because you would need a signature from me. I can move them back to myself and they are my Bitcoins, right? So Because you so have I the refund the transaction. Because I have your pre-signed refund transaction. But you haven't broadcast 
either of these transactions yet. You're just holding them. So because you're holding the refund transaction, do you feel comfortable broadcasting the funding transaction now? Um, <laughs> yes and no. So so for, for now, I would feel comfortable, um, right? Because what, what, what I can do is I, I just move basically the coins to a different address, but I still control them. Okay. Right? So, and and that, that makes me happier, right? All right. So I'm watching the blockchain. I just noticed that 100,000 Satoshis has been deposited to this multi-sig that we co-own. I guess that's our payment channel. That's the anchor. I, I just saw it broadcast. It's been confirmed six times. Um, we now have 100,000 um, Satoshi payment channel. Of course, you put in the money. So effectively, since you have the refund transaction, you own all 100,000 Satoshis. So I've got a t-shirt to sell you for 20,000 Satoshis. Would you like to buy it? Sure, but how can I do that? Well, how about we, we make a new transaction, and in this one, we take the multisig, and instead of spending it all back to you, you spend 20,000 to me and 80,000 to you. That way, effectively, 20,000 has moved to my side of the channel. Okay, that's great. <laughs> I will do that and I will take the shirt <laughs> and I'm very happy. And you know what I'm then doing? I'm being an asshole. I'm publishing the other transaction that you signed before. Remember, I still have my refund transaction that sends everything back to me. <laughs> I, I don't really like that. Um, I'd like you to destroy that refund transaction before I agree to this new payment and give you the t-shirt. How can we destroy a Bitcoin transaction if Bitcoin transactions don't expire? Um, I, I think what we could do is um, we could have changed the refund transaction initially. We could have given you the chance that if I publish this transaction later, um, you could claim the funds that actually belong to me. Because, you know, Bitcoin has this scripting language and it's smart and it's programmable. And I could basically give you a certain time window of, let's say, a day or two. And, you know, I mean... I, I kind of like this idea. If you give me a key that allows me to take all 100,000 Satoshis if you tried to cheat, then I would consider that old refund transaction effectively revoked. Because if you go publish it, you can't take your money for two days. And in those two days, I can come in and swoop and take all of it. So once you give me that key, I'm happy to sign the new transaction that says that I own 20,000 and you own 80,000. I think we've moved our channel forward by one step. Yes. The only other thing that we need to do is we need to prepare such a similar key for the 20,000 Satoshi output in case you want to pay me another time next time. Okay. So basically what we're doing is we're making each of our commitments revocable by putting a key that can um, cause a penalty. Asymmetric so that each of us has a delay in claiming our own money and delayed by the a couple of days so that the other person has an opportunity to penalize us if we try to cheat. I think now we can just keep moving the channel forward and moving money back and forth. Seems like a ridiculously good deal, right? Hey, because hey now hang on a second. I want to send some money to Peter, but I don't have a channel with Peter. I want to send Peter 10,000 Satoshis. So I've, I've got a channel with Renee. That's oh, awesome. Oh, okay. So how about I send you 10,000 Satoshi, Renee, 
as long as you agree to send Peter 10,000 Satoshi. Um, we could do that, but I would argue, please send me 10,100 Satoshis, because honestly, for my time and effort to negotiate with Peter, I should get compensated. So please send me a little bit more. If you agree to that, I will forward 10,000 Satoshis to Peter. Oh, okay, but how do I know you won't just keep my 10,100 Satoshis and never give anything to Peter? Maybe I need some way to prove that Peter got paid. Hey, Peter, can you tell me um, the hash of a secret that will prove that you got paid? Yeah, I'm, but I'm not going to tell Renee the secret. You're not going to tell me the secret either. I just need a hash that proves yeah, I'll give you a hash. in the future. Great, okay. <laughs> So here, here you go, Renee. I'll give you 10,100 Satoshis if you tell me the secret behind this hash. You don't know it. You're going to have to get it from Peter. Once you get it from Peter, I know you've paid Peter, so we're cool. Then you can claim. So just, just to make sure what we did right now, right? So we have our channel, and there are 80,000 Satoshis on my side, 20,000 Satoshis on your side. And you're basically saying, hey, let's create a third output where you decrease the 20,000 Satoshis that you owned. And the third output, you can reclaim it later if I can't provide you with the secret, or I can reclaim it if I know the secret. Is that correct? Am I, am I talking the right thing here? Yeah, sure. Okay, that sounds like a good commitment to make. So I'll sign that commitment if you revoke the previous one. Uh, sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, great. Let's I move mean, our channel forward. Let's see if yeah. you c we can make this work. I'll right. just wait and see what happens. Okay, so so what is important to note here? Um, I don't I don't take any risk in this, right? Andreas is just reducing his money a little bit, and he bets on the fact that I'm acting faithfully here, right? And now I have this this contract with Andreas that I can claim the money if I know the secret that you came up with, or Peter, right? So so what we're doing is we're doing the exact same contract in our channel. I'm setting up something where I'm saying, hey. You can claim this on your address with 10,000 Satoshis if you provide me that secret, right? And I will only mm. move the state forward if you share that secret with me. It's a pretty good secret. But you get 10,000 Satoshis for it. Uh, okay. Well, listen, just don't tell anyone else. All right. All right. Um, well, I can't guarantee that to you. <laughs> yeah, I know. But listen, look, this, this role play is amazing. because. But I think what you've done with this role play is that you've explained the logic behind the engineering of how this yep. all works but at the same time when uh somebody's using their debit card they don't know have to know what the logic is behind the uh, how the system works how people get paid uh they just you know they just swipe their card and they have a, a amount of money uh, deducted from their bank's ledger and that goes to the uh, retailer's uh, bank account um Moving across to using the Lightning Network, a lot of people want something similar where they don't have to think about all of this logic. So I think it's really useful, but in terms of the actual user themselves, let's actually break down, because most of this they don't actually have to know about. A lot of this just happens, yeah, so which is great. It, it, it would be a lot simpler in real life. Uh, basically, um, hey, Peter, I want to pay you 10,000 Satoshis. Can you give me an invoice? You, um, you generate an invoice. Now, what that invoice contains is the destination, your uh, Lightning wallet, uh, which is a bit like an address, and it contains a hash of the secret. I don't see any of that. My wallet sees that. 
what that hash of the secret allows me to do is set up that chain of payments through however many hops it takes. You've got to think about it in terms of in the Lightning Network now, with thousands of nodes connected with tens of thousands of channels, we're talking six degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know, you, which is probably a reference that ages me a bit. Um, but basically, the idea is that um, not only is there a path between me and you, Peter, but likely on the Lightning Network, there are thousands of possible paths limited only by their length uh, that could get me to you. Um, just like when you're navigating a map in a city and I'm in one place and I want to get to another, the number of roads and paths I could pick to get to that destination is, is um, explosively complex. Uh, but I'll, all I need is one that gets me there. So well, I think of uh, I th I think of the Lightning Network almost like a spider web. It is, and I can I can be one point on the spider web, and you can be another point, and Renee, and all all, and there could be hundreds of thousands of other people. And when I send a payment for myself to one other person, the Lightning Network is just trying to find the 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 fastest best way to get there with the right amount of liquidity. Interestingly enough, that it's not the Lightning Network that does that, it's True. my wallet. Yes. So my wallet, and, and this is for privacy, if everybody was involved in getting the payment to you, Peter, everybody would know exactly where it came from and where it's going, which isn't so good for privacy. So instead, what happens is my wallet says, I have this invoice to pay Peter. I've been listening to the Lightning Network gossip about all of these channels, so I can build an image of the spider web in my own Lightning wallet. And I can find a way to connect these all together. I'm not entirely sure about the balances, but this path looks possible. So let me just try shooting one of these um, promises through the, that path and see if it reaches Peter. If it does, the secret is going to flow back to me and I'll know that Peter was paid. And that's what my wallet is going to do. The interesting thing is that every point on the path only knows the one before and the one after. It doesn't know how long the path is, it doesn't know who sent it, and it doesn't know who the ultimate recipient is because it can't tell. That's called onion routing. And that yeah. gives us a great degree of privacy because each person only deals with their channel partners, the channels they're connected to immediately. Beyond that, we don't know if things are coming or going belonging to um, our channel partners or if our channel partners are simply forwarding for someone else. That's a big part of the privacy. So yes, in terms of the experience, I would scan your invoice and I would hit send. Behind the scenes, my wallet would find a plausible path um, it would then construct a, a multi-layered encrypted message that would be unwrapped by each person on that path. And all they would see inside is the instructions on where to go next. They don't know where it's coming from. They don't know where it's finally going. All they see is just for this one more step to this node. And eventually it reaches you and a secret flows backwards in the same way. And nobody in between knows where it came from or where it went. Um, but everybody made the same kind of deal. If you give me 10100 on the way in, I'm happy to pay 10000 on the way out because I'm going to earn the difference. I might end up paying 10800 for seven hops. 
uh, knowing that every person in between will take 100 Satoshis, and you'll end up with the 10,000 at the end. Uh, and every, no one will actually know how long the path is, um, who's involved, or any of that information. Next up, I talk to Andreas and Rene more about the Lightning Network. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's talk about sportsbet.io, the best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin. And now with the Euros over, we got a few weeks off, a few weeks rest from football before the Premier League starts again. And you'll hear me yelling about Liverpool. Now, I absolutely love this company. They do everything they can to support Bitcoin. They are the front of shirt sponsor for Southampton, who've just released their badass new shirt with a Bitcoin logo on the front. They are also the betting partner of Arsenal. So if you're watching the Premier League and you're seeing Bitcoin logos, you have sportsbet.io to thank. Now, with sportsbet.io, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They even have esports. Every sport you could possibly think of. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions to find out more. That is sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. And next up, we have the Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as regular listeners know, I'm always ragging on about UX, how important it is for newcomers to be able to navigate Bitcoin. So when Exodus reached out to me and they said, Pete, we want to work with you. We want to sponsor the show. I had to spend some time playing with the app. And you know what? They crushed it. I am happy to recommend Exodus to my friends, my family, and of course, you guys. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So if you want to find out more, please head over to Exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And lastly, this week, we have Casa, the safest way to manage your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, phishing attacks. There are way too many ways for you to lose your Bitcoin or have it stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because a Casa multi-sig wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And you can distribute these wallets into different locations, which protects you from a range of mistakes errors and vulnerabilities now if you want to find out more i have been a customer for over a year you can hit me up on my dms in twitter or drop me an email there is no better time to upgrade your bitcoin security and get total peace of mind you can find out more at keys.casa which is k-e-y-s dot c-a-s-a so so let me ask you something andreas if i send you some bitcoin on the base chain um we know we have uh, uh, that Bitcoin is sent using, uh, basically sent an uh, unspent transaction output. And we know those bastards over at Chain Analysis and, and similar uh, cretin companies are able to track uh, track most of this, right? Unless you're somebody who's very experienced in uh, privacy or using some form of coin join, which I, I'm not. And we even know with some of that that it can be recognized. So what's happening with the Lightning Network? If I'm sending you sats, what, what is being sent across how's that record of those sats being kept if we're not using uh, utxos so all that's being sent across is um new commitments for the shared payment channel between each of the partners um there's there's no actual money being moved um it's it's just a changing balance in the channels involved eventually one of your incoming channels peter will have 10,000 satoshis more 
on your side owed to you with a signed commitment transaction. Now you can either send that back out to pay someone else, or if you want, you could close the channel, commit that to the, um, to the Bitcoin blockchain, and you'll have a UTXO with at least 10,000 in it from that payment. But you don't have to do that. In fact, you don't want to do that. You want to keep it in the Lightning Network so you can continue making payments out. But once 10,000 is on your end, you can send it out. Now, look at it from the perspective of an analytics company. None of this hits the chain. Um, the initial funding transaction for the channels looks like a payment to a Bitcoin address, which is a script address. You don't know it's a multi-sig. The closing transaction, if you end up closing the channel, will reveal it as a lightning channel. However, not after taproot. Oh, sorry, you wanted to say. We'll come yes. to that. We'll come to that. Yeah. However, all you'll see is the final state. So you'll see that I have ten and Renee has ninety thousand, but you won't know how we arrived at that final state. In between, we may have sent back and forth thousands of transactions and payments on behalf of others or for ourselves. You'll just see the final reckoning, the final reconciliation. And, and you know, you don't need to close the channel, so why do that? And then there's the other magic, which, as Renee mentioned, is Taproot. With Taproot, all of this appears as a single payment. Um, and then it looks like um, someone sent Renee uh, 90,000 and me 10,000. And you have no idea that it was a lightning channel and not just the payments. The Lightning Network just looks like another payer uh, of a simple payment transaction. You don't see any of the scripts. Um, this is an enormous improvement in privacy. Everything happens within the context of a payment channel that only the two-channel partners know about, uh, or at least only the two-channel partners know, know about the balance. Everybody else on the network doesn't know. Now, this is obviously the ideal description of what I'm saying, there are ways to probe this network um, and reveal channel balances. There are ways to in interject nodes. Um, but in order to do that, you have to stake actual Bitcoin. So it's a massive increase in privacy. Is it perfect? No. Um, but we're not going for perfect. We're going for incrementally better. And this is a massive step in the right direction. Okay, so I do have some some questions. Um, the privacy side of thing is incredible, and that's amazing. Especially uh, one of the most important videos I've ever seen about privacy is one that you did, Andreas, which is on YouTube. I'll share it in the show notes. It's a, a fantastic video which talks about uh, privacy as a human right, uh, and having increased privacy with the Lightning Network is 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 amazing. Um, but one of the drawbacks at the moment, well, one of the restrictions at the moment is liquidity. So if I want to send you a million dollars of Bitcoin, Andreas, on the base chain, it's easy. I just I do it and it, it goes straight to you. It's not a problem. You, like, you'll have it in six confirmations. Maybe you'll wait for 10 on that size. But on the Lightning Network, I obviously can't send you a million dollars of Bitcoin just now. I can easily send you $10. $100, I'm pretty conf confident it will happen, but we start getting to two, three, maybe $500. It starts to get a bit more complicated. Sometimes it's fails, sometimes part payments. If we get into the thousands, it becomes even more difficult. Where are we at with liquidity on the Lightning Network? What kind of progress is being made? Um, and, and will it... 
Well, it, do you think we will have to get to the point where maybe we've got some hubs which have very high levels of liquidity to be able to route some of these payments? I'd like to pass this on to Renee by first interjecting something, which is the issue at first was channel liquidity. But um, as of almost a year ago, there is a technology on the Lightning Network called multi-path payments. So rather than trying to send this payment on one set of channels, on one path, uh, now what we can do is we can break it up into smaller chunks um, and send these chunks on different paths through different channels. And as long as we can add them all up and make the amount we want to pay, that's great. These are atomic, meaning it either all happens or all doesn't happen, um, and they're trustless like every other Lightning payment, which then brings up another problem. How do you split them? and which channels do you send them on? And this is the basis, this question, this problem of finding the best possible paths is the basis of a, a massive breakthrough that Renee achieved um, with recent research uh, that is a game changer for the Lightning Network because it allows us to bridge the very small payments that are possible today with the very big payments that are only possible on chain and extend the Lightning Network through something that many of us are affectionately calling pick hard payments or pick hard payments because, uh, you know, the, the Maxis love anything that says hard money in it. R Rene, can you, can you describe approximately what you're doing with this yeah, uh, pathfinding this, algorithm? Sure. Um, so <laughs> it's actually funny. Um, you, you, you actually entered it very well by saying, you know, there's this question of how do you split optimally? And when I started this work, I actually have a Git repository um, that I will share soon that has this very boring title of like, we're just investigating how to split this optimally. And that's what we were doing, actually, right? It's a very boring math problem in the beginning. Um, once we were able to compute it and see the results, we were like, wow, we can send all the Bitcoins that we have in our node to somebody else. It's unbelievable. And it's fast. And now I can like send half a Bitcoin over the Lightning Network if I wanted to, right? So so we were like flabbergasted. Like I remember doing this experiment for the very first time, and I'm like jumping in my room and being like, this is incredible. Um, of course, in a simulated environment where we did this, right? I, I wouldn't play around novel research with half a Bitcoin on mainnet. Um, yeah. So, so the idea behind this is the following. Um, and uh, um, Peter mentioned it very, very well. The larger the payment, the more unlikely the payment is to succeed. And this is actually a, a very simple mathematical reason that um, we have actually explained uh, in, in March this year publicly. But I think everybody knew this already. It's, it's so simple, basically, that, that nobody had to, like from the research perspective, actually talk about it. And what has been described in the literature very often is that nodes have this success rate and the success rate drops when the payments get larger, exactly what Peter was basically describing. What I was doing is I was the basically first person to turn this around and say, look, we have this uncertainty, right? You mentioned before, Andreas, that you have like a million of paths to choose to go to, to, to Peter, right? Which one should you choose? So far, what nodes usually did is they selected the one that offered the cheapest fees. And I mean, that's reasonable, right? You want to save money. 
But what I'm saying is, hey, can we can we quantify the uncertainty of every channel in this path by, by using a probability theory and a probability function? And can we use that to optimize the path to have the most likely path to succeed or the most likely payment split, the most likely multipath payment? Um, and apparently it turns out that this is a well-known studied um, problem in, in logistics. It's like 40 years old. And together with uh, Stefan Richter, we have been able to uh, transfer this back to this problem. Um, and, and it was just amazing, right? So it's basically this idea of use this uncertainty. And, and the main idea is actually the larger the channel, very intuitively, the more likely it is that you can use this channel. So what you're basically trying to do is you find the right balance of small enough payments on many enough channels, right? Because if you do all of the channels, then of course there is a likelihood that some of them are just unbalanced and, and don't work, even if you have very small payments, right? So, so it's kind of like this trade-off that you have to find there. Um, What's fascinating uh, about this research result that really changed my perspective of the lightning is that I thought that, okay, maybe you split it into two or, or three channels. Um, But, but in fact, what's interesting is that this works in a process of almost spraying the payment across the Lightning Network um, for the bigger amounts that Rene simulated, close to half a Bitcoin, I think it was 0.42 um, or 0.420 if you, if you prefer. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so what happened is we computed this thing and uh, spraying is a nice word. We like to call it flooding because by the end of the day, it's a, a flow problem, right? Um, what, what, what we did is we computed the split and it was basically split this amount into 250 parts and used 250 different paths of very tiny amounts and sent them over to Andreas or to somebody. And when, when you do this MPP split and you send this out, um, 75% of the balance that we had in this experiment just arrived on the first attempt. And then some parts came back. Right? And what we did is we used all the information that we gained with the failing onions and with the successful onions and all of this to update our uncertainty, our belief about the network. And then we tried a second round. And in the second to, to round- To send the other 25%. So effectively exactly. what you do is you squeeze as much as you can on the first try, whatever doesn't go through, you squeeze on the second try. And by the third try, you're down into the um, points, uh, percentage points, base points. Yeah. So, so, so I only had to do this for four rounds in order to deliver a payment of size uh, 0.4 Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. And I, I don't think anybody has ever done this before, unless, of course, they had like a really large Wumbo channel where they had this like direct connection and basically knew that they could send this back and forth. So allow me to answer your question directly, Peter. You asked, will this mean that large hubs with large channels win? And the answer is large hubs with large channels obviously provide better opportunities for routing, but due to the ability to do multipath payments, it actually makes more sense to open with whatever balance you have several channels to several nodes to become well connected, because at the end of the day, you can aggregate all of the capacity across all of these channels to flood your payment across. And If you say had a half Bitcoin that you wanted to open lightning channels with, it's much better to open 20 or 50 channels of 150th of that amount than open two big ones. 
Um, it's not going to make you a major routing node, but it's actually going to give you the best possible option for flooding across the network um, with this approach. And so I think the Lightning Network will develop to have a certain degree of hub and spoke architecture, but it will also have um, topologies that look more like a mesh um, and that serve communities that have particular affinity. Think about the place you visited in El Salvador. They don't, for the most part, need to route outside of a cluster in the local topology. So it makes much more sense for them to be um, well interconnected in a mesh with a few larger channels going out for the occasional payment outside that cluster. Uh, and I think that's what you're going to see. There will be backbones, there will be hubs, but they will serve the purpose of a backbone. They won't be serving the purpose of a centralizer. They will be bridging um, many smaller mesh-like topologies that represent people who spend money with each other often. It elevates community spending um, over global spending. Right. Uh, Renee, this project, this thing you've been working on, was this the thing we had the discussion about that you're actually looking to go and work full time on? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I have to be very clear when, when we talk about these results, they are very early and preliminary results, right? Uh -huh. What they demonstrate is that we want to think about this payment process and payment providing in, in this perspective, right? But as I just mentioned, I, I wouldn't put half a Bitcoin in a very early stage experiment on the Lightning Network. And when you actually really want to engineer this, there is a lot of things to consider. The questions that Andreas raised are there. It's like, how do nodes actually really provide their liquidity if they want to become routing nodes, right? So for, for if, if you're an end user, probably, like Andreas said, you just try to be well connected with your friends and your local community. But if you're a service provider, and those will also exist, right? Like the more popular or bigger nodes, Right. Or the they exchanges. have different needs. Yeah, service provider exchange, whatever. Right. So they they have different they have different needs. Right. So there are questions on that, and for them this this method can actually also be used to to bundle payments with a technique called trampoline uh, payments. Um, so 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 there's a lot of ongoing research and actual development to do this. Um, and once I discovered this, what what happened is. Um, I basically put out a tweet and said, look, I did this experiment and, and it's amazing. And Andreas retweeted it and was like, this is a game changer. And, and many people contacted me. So, so I pretty much talked to everybody in the industry. And you wouldn't believe how many people were offering NDAs and ridiculously high wages, shares in companies, all, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I have to say, every every person has a price somewhere, Right. And, and I was very tempted to take one of these offers. I mean, that, that was so much higher than any job offer that, or wage that ever was offered to me. Um, but I thought long and hard about this. Um, by the end of the day, this technology is useful if everybody uses it and everybody knows this, right? So a service provider could make use of this and, and have a competitive advantage and maybe like do something like provide wallet services to exchanges who don't want to do this in-house and so on. But... I had the feeling if everybody in this like open, decentralized, free network and free market know how people do pathfinding, um, that's just best for the network. So what I decided is um, to open source this thing. 
Um, so I will actually describe the mechanics of this in a, in a paper. Um, and I hope to, to, to attract some funds in a fundraising project so that I can actually focus more on working on this and, and try to make this an um, open source project that other wallets and implementations can start to use and start to commit to, yes. So you're looking for funding, basically, to go out and you want people to sponsor you, give you funding so you can go and work on this and make it open source. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Okay. Um, I, I think we're running into very much the same issue that we ran into in 2013, 2014 with core developers, which is if you want broad-based innovation that gets incorporated into a protocol that everyone can use, unencumbered by patents and open source, et cetera, um, we have to found, find ways to fund developers. Ironically, uh, when that problem was solved by big companies sponsoring core developers, um, that unleashed a wave of conspiracy theories about um, various shadow puppetry going on and why is this company funding core developers, etc. cetera. Uh, the bottom line is that um, if we want successful innovation in this industry, we can't expect it to happen in a vacuum. Um, I think this is the kind of technology that will allow um, service providers, as Renee puts it, but more specifically, exchanges. Uh, because one of the very first ways that an end user will get a Lightning Channel um, opened is if when they withdraw from an exchange, they don't withdraw on chain, but instead they withdraw to a lightning wallet through a channel opened by the exchange. And that's the best possible way to do it. You're paying that fee anyway, or the exchange is. It's much better to open channels to all of your customers and fund them adequately so that you can then become a bit of a hub at first, but also enable much faster payments. In order to do that, these exchanges need to very much up their innovation and investment in the Lightning Network. Um, and it will, it will pay off almost immediately because it changes the, the transaction fee equation. If you look at the average exchange, they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a week in transaction fees. So this is an investment worth making. I'm hoping to see in the next era of development of Bitcoin, um, big service providers sponsoring with grants or uh, various other forms um, core developers in Lightning who can continue with this development in an open source fashion. Now, I can I can run a Patreon. You know, Renee has a Patreon too, but you shouldn't have to be. Um, you shouldn't already have to be a popular influencer to be able to deliver open source innovation. That's, that's, that shouldn't be the bar to be able to do this work. Um, so, so that requires a bit of change in perspective. Well, listen, we, we spoke about this already, Renee. I'm, I'll donate 10,000 euros to you to get that kicked off. So that'll get you started. And then we'll put it out there. We'll people know in the show, like if people want to donate, how do they, how do they donate to you? Um, there, there's first of all, my, so first of all, thank you very much. It's very, very generous. And I think this is exactly what is being needed, that people actually put the money where their heart is or their mouth is and, and, and do this. Um, they can go to my Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Rene Picard. Uh, and I also have, um, a domain running, um, donate.ln.rene-picard.de. 
I think you're probably going to link it in the show notes because yeah, my yeah. last name is usually a little bit hard to spell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there, there will be a, webs, a, a Bitcoin address and a possibility to also donate via Lightning. Um, okay, well, yeah. you send me an invoice for 10,000 euros. I'll get that paid. That's a start. We'll, <laughs> we'll put this in the show notes to kick it off. And also, I'll, we'll put a tweet out there and we'll get this funded. It shouldn't take too long. Yeah, and awesome. I'd be happy to match that, of course. Uh, wow, thank you. Thank you so much, Renee. L listen, here's nice the one. thing. When, when it comes to, to strange names, um, I want to also put out there that um, in, in this particular show, um, you have two of the three authors of um, our upcoming book, um, you know, and we're delivering that work again. Um, as I, I've done in the past, and so has Renee, and so has our uh, co-author Lalu, um, in an open source format. So the book is free to read as we write it. It's free to share. And within a year, it will also be free to reuse commercially, mash up, and do everything else you want under an open uh, share-like Creative Commons license. The, the three authors of this book are all unpronounceable. Uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, Ola Lua Ashtokun, and Rene Picard. Now, you know, the two of us, we've already been introduced, but I would be remiss if I didn't, uh, of course, mention our good friend Lalu. Uh, Ola Lua Ashtokun is the chief technology officer of Lightning Labs, um, one of the leading companies in the space that has built LND, the Lightning Network Daemon. Um, and has been a technology pioneer in the space, has, has written and invented many things um, that are used on the Lightning Network. And I, I couldn't be happier to have this uh, dream team of authors going forward with this book, um, which we will finish by the end of July, if not for any other reason, uh, that my publisher has put a wall of a deadline uh, and threatens me if I don't. <laughs> that's, the, that's, uh, that's the Avengers of lightning, lightning people to put this book together. I think we should also mention Lalu is the fastest speaker in the world. <laughs> yes, that I, is I, true. Have to, I, have to, I have to say one thing, please allow me. Um, this is actually one of the other reasons why I decided to do it in the like open knowledge, open source way. All the stuff that I'm working on is built on the shoulders of giants, right? I joined this space in 2018. I didn't invent the Lightning Network. When I saw this technology, I thought it was just beautiful. And, you know, those people kept that stuff as open source software. Well, I didn't have the means to tip them and, and say, hey, thank you. But me basically bringing my knowledge back and say, look, I open sourced this. That's my contribution, right? So, so that's a huge part of the motivation to actually say, hey, this is a giving back to the community. And people like Lalu and, and I could probably name 20 other people or even more. Have, have done such an amazing work to, to build this technology and think of the possibilities. It's, it's incredible. Well, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. My podcast only happens because I get very smart people willing to give me uh, some of their time every week to ask uh, ask my dumb questions. And I'm lucky that sponsors want to pay for this. So I'm always happy to contribute. Everyone does in Bitcoin. This is a great thing. Yeah. And I think we'll get you funded. Uh, I think that's going to be very easy. Hopefully you'll get funded to a higher level than those jobs that you were offered, which I think would be super awesome. But I, 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 I commend no you for making it open source. 
I had no idea you reached uh, almost a hundred thousand people uh, with every single episode, Peter. No, uh, no, that's, no, that's not everyone. It's, it's it ranges. The range now is quite broad. It can be but, as low as forty thousand. The one I just did with the President Bukele is at about one hundred sixty-five thousand. But that's so. still an astonishing number. So, would it be premature to call you the Joe Rogan of Bedford? <laughs> no, do you know what? I I, uh, I actually say Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is the Pete McCormack of everything, not Bitcoin. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, listen, look, he he's he uh, he. I, I admire him a lot. I actually, I don't know if I've ever told people this, but I spent a lot of time studying his interview and technique, not just listening to his interviews, like watching how he does it, how he holds conversations. And I haven't managed to match him, but I, I do admire that guy a lot. But look, between us all, and Andreas, you've you've done a lot for me. Yours, Andreas, by the way, yours was the f my first interview I did with you was the first one that actually went over 100,000. But we, we recorded that about three years ago. Yeah, and then it wow. took me about another two and a half years to get another one that high. Oh, I'm so I'm so glad to 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 break records with you, Peter. It's been it's been yeah, an man. awesome collaboration. Yeah, with, well, with both of you, um, I appreciate both of you everything and, you've done. And, uh, and and Peter, by the way, you know your special role in 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 my breakthrough, right? You, you're aware of that. I told you. Yeah, it's because of um, Peter Ryzen, right? Yeah, well, no. uh, of this show, right? So 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 in this like two years ago, Lightning Week, you you also invited critics of Lightning. Yeah, and he was talking about yeah this pathfinding problem it's unsolvable kind of like things I, I don't know exactly yeah. and I was like I don't believe that You're and there's like, this XKCD this. comic of like I can't come to you there's somebody wrong on the internet and basically two years of, of like work I mean I had started on these like questions before but that, that was a huge motivation for me to actually say and what, what I want to say is like it's your interviewing technique that makes it so intriguing to listen to the show, right? Oh, you you invite all those people and you're going like, no, it's, it's honestly, it's entertaining and it's nice and it's, it's like, it's good ideas. It's, it's really amazing. And, and this is what I love about Bitcoin. It brings together so many different people with so many different perspectives. It's, it's mm -hmm. amazing. Well, listen, we've all patted each other on the back enough here. Uh, I, I do love you both. And we've just got you 20,000 euros, which is a good kickstart for your project. It's amazing. We will get it out there. We'll get you a lot more in donations. We will make sure this work is done. Uh, anything we didn't cover that you want to cover? Or are you both happy with this? I think this was a great start, but we're going to mm. have to go into more depth about this technology. There's so much more right under the surface. We've basically covered the basics. I really liked uh, the way we uh, role-played out uh, payment channels. I think that's probably the first time I've done that on a show, and hopefully it will become one of the foundational and seminal uh, pieces of work in that space. Um, yeah, back for more, hopefully soon. I think we yeah, I think we're doing another one where we're going to be talking about living on Bitcoin, which I think will be a fascinating one because I, I get asked about that a lot because I've covered it twice. I covered it with Max Hillebrand and I covered it also with that DD guy, I can't remember his surname, and people ask about it a lot. I think there's, you know, especially at times like now, a lot of people are thinking, hold on, if I've got enough Bitcoin, can I just be a nomad and travel the world and nobody really know who I am and, and live my life on Bitcoin? So we're going to cover that as well, but I appreciate you both. Everything we covered will be in the show notes. Uh, the, the the open source uh, chapters of the books, your links, your Patreons. And uh, yeah, we will make sure we get the voice out there for you, Renee, to make sure you get funded. So thank you both. Appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, what did you think of that one? Andreas and Renee, I think, was a perfect way to kick off this series of shows. 
and we've got some other great shows lined up. We're going to be hearing from Jack Mallers, Open Noms and Rotzol, and Christian Decker and Carla Kirk Cohen. We have all these shows over the next two weeks, and as I said, it was going to be a week of shows, but I'm in surgery tomorrow, and with my back issues, I had to move some of the interviews back. So they're going to be spread out over the next two weeks, but I think you're going to love them. In the meantime, if you've got any feedback, you can hit me up on my email address, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, or you can jump into my Telegram group. Outside of that, I'm off to surgery tomorrow, if I should die, if it goes all wrong. I just want to say I love you all. Thanks for supporting the show. Hopefully you find a new presenter, and it's been a good ride. But honestly, I should be fine. I'll see you on Wednesday. Love you all. If you want to support the show, please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. Outside of that, have a great week, and I'll see you all on Wednesday. Bye.